Kia ora tato, no mai harimai. Wade Manson here from Sport Gisborne Tarafti, and you're listening to our podcast, The Sideline Gap. No mai harimai fano, na mihi oti toho. Happy New Year. On today's show, we chat with Natipro East Coast rugby captain and King in the Ring kickboxing champ Sam Parks. Whoever I'm fighting, you know, we both don't like pain, but I'm sorry, bro, but I like pain a little bit more than you, so yeah, yeah, you're you're in for a rough night here. Sam is side to the coast, in particular Tolaga Bay, which he calls home. He plays rugby for Uawa Sports Club and represents Ngātipiro East Coast in the Heartland competition. Sam shares a unique record with teammate Verdon Bartlett as the only two players to have won the Meads Cup, Lahore Cup and Bill Osborne Taonga. In 2022, he received the Ian Kirkpatrick Medal for outstanding contribution on behalf of professional players both on and off the field. He also played through the longest first-class losing streak in New Zealand rugby, losing 54 consecutive matches from 2013 to 2021. Kickboxing is another area where Sam has excelled. In 2022, he won the super light heavyweight 80kg category at New Zealand's K1 kickboxing tournament, King in the Ring. We chat with Sam about growing up on the farm in a small community, how sport was something that kept him focused and provided enjoyment. He reflects on how a poor decision returned him home to the path he was meant to be on. We discuss how his brother's influence got him playing rugby for the coast, the ups and downs of his playing career, and also what makes the coast so special. Sam shares insights into his kickboxing career, the transition from team sports into individual sports at a later age, winning the King in the Ring title, and how his last tournament was a real challenge. His passion and commitment to the coast is unwavering, and his story is a great reflection of an athlete who never gives up. As always, please share this far and wide, and if you love what we are doing, feel free to leave us a review. Kia ora. Sam Parks, welcome to the show. No mai haremai. Thanks for coming along. Really appreciate the time that you've taken out of your time to come in and, and, and have a chat. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. So normally we start with an origin story around what the sport looked like for you growing up. Right, but yep. we're going to kick off a little bit different. I've gone out and had a chat to someone that admires you quite a lot, Daryl Crawford. <laughs> and he's written a little bit about you that I think that's going to kick off our conversation today. So Daryl says, I taught Sammy as a year three student, and he was always into everything. I guess growing up on the farm, he was always active and outside. Awesome whānau and 100% supported by his parents, Murray and Annabelle. He's the youngest of three, Caroline is the oldest, Ben and then him. Can we talk about what life was like growing up in Oiwa? Yeah, for sure. First of all, thank you for having me. Pretty nervous to um, be doing it, but um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity first up. Um, yeah, growing up in Tolaga was was amazing, eh? it was a massive blessing. Like, um, although we were brought up on a farm, so we never really like were in the actual township, or you, know, you couldn't just go down to the shop or anything whenever you wanted. So my association with Tolaga at the start was always just school, place, or play centre originally, school, and then obviously the farm kind of employs a few like people. So, you know, you get to know um, kids around the area uh, that way in particular. So that was sort of my first sort of um, introduction to Tolaga is that you're on the farm and you're sort of there all the time, so you don't necessarily get to go in into, um, you know, into the town very often. But um, once we started going to school and that, 
you sort of start in integrating with the outside world coming from farming farming life so it's pretty much just hanging out with your brothers and sisters and yeah neighbors and 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 those sort of people until yeah you can sort of start going to school and start broadening your horizons that way i guess yeah so what was school like Tolog bay area school yep guess, yep yep that's it what was that like for you yeah i mean that was cool i mean when that's all you know you kind of get influenced in those rural communities you know it's um predominantly maori based so well you got to you know you got to do it their way kind of thing which is which is beautiful it's lovely it's um it's good to grow up in a um you know quite a, a broad spectrum of of people and get to know different cultures and that, that sort of thing and then that's what influences you you know you don't get stuck in I don't know sort of not that I'm downplaying city life or anything but you know you can get sort of stuck in that mold where the rural communities you kind of yeah the, the people are you know, more colorful sort of people and more interesting sort of sort of characters and um, that certainly influenced me 100% in my in my upbringing nice yeah i get it like i've grown up i grew up out at ormond oh there you go yeah so, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah no i get that i understand where you're coming from in terms of that that it's almost like that sense of community as well yeah like for sure a, yep just with farming life and yeah everything yeah. like that that's cool when we head into that like now like looking at sport what was it like growing up um, <laughs> yeah. for you well like growing up on the farm you don't get to choose that many sports because you can't make all the trainings you know so it's pretty much just cricket and rugby for us that was mainly our things, you know, you only get to go to one training a week kind of thing because the bus wouldn't be able to like bring you back home if you go to too many or, and then you go to town Saturday morning and play the sport and then you head straight back up or probably go town and then to Nana and Grandad's for you know, the after match feed and you go connect, collect your $1 coin for how many tries you scored or whatever <laughs> and then back up to the farm and never seen again. So for me growing up, uh, sport was mainly, was just rugby and cricket because you know, you couldn't really do a heck of a lot other other than that, you know, so sort of jumping ahead a bit, but sort of never really knew of individual sports as, as a kid, you know, it's certainly never an option, not because we were forced not to do them, it's just the way it was. I only really got it into individual sports when I was about 21, 22 sort of thing, realising, oh, hell, I've left home and I can actually do whatever I want. So, yeah, that was quite interesting of a change to, um, yeah, go from just... A constant diet of team sports to yeah figuring out oh yeah there is these individual sports that you can sort of have a, have a go at but yeah yeah nice we'll go we'll come back to that one like uh, in regards to the individual sports was it tough having that one training and then turning up to the game and then just having that or was there uh, was it enough or it was certainly enough oh, to be like no nah, it was certainly enough yeah the level is not you know it's not it's not all black sort of stuff so no nah, it was fine it was completely fine um, just having those sort of little um, interactions with the team and then meeting up with them on Saturday and that, yeah, because most of the team, like, you know, back then all, all sort of live in Tolaga and that, but, um, yeah, a few of us farming kids had to sort of, you know, do it that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that was back on the farm and working or? <laughs> wow, yeah, slave labour, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, brilliant, cool. So if we sort of fast forward into boys high, yep. went to boys high, so you... What did rugby look like that um, for you? Well, yeah, so I actually went to Lindisfarne College for third and fourth form, so year nine and ten. I'm going to um, go on another tangent no, here. No, but, it's all good. It's all but good. Um, I actually got kicked out of Lindisfarne for smoking marijuana. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, go to, grow up in Tolaga Bay, 
um, and then get sent away to a private or integrated boarding school and then try weed for the first time, you know, it doesn't really make sense. But, um, but my point of the story is that um, going to Lindisfarne, the whole ideology around Lindisfarne in terms of like the students is that you get sent, like you get promoted to go to university and, and you're going down that sort of path. I was never, I was never um, inclined to, to do any of that. Yeah, so but if I had stayed at Lindisfarne, I would have probably gone to university and I would have gone down a different path and I wouldn't have, um, I don't think I would have um, done or achieved anything that I have now. So interesting, smoking that weed and getting kicked out brought me back to Gisborne and it actually put me on the path that I was meant to be on. So that weird, bad moment in my life of you know, doing that, that bad decision actually corrected my life in terms of um, putting me on the track that I was supposed to be on. Yeah, so it was quite weird because like, I don't smoke weed. Now I don't um, smoke cigarettes, I don't vape, I don't do any of that. You know, I'm, I'm quite a healthy sort of a bloke. But that one poor decision was quite weird how it actually later on became my biggest blessing. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. never, I would have hated if I went to um, went to university and got a loan and ended up not being back in Gisborne Boys High, being close to Uawa, who I'm completely side to, and then um, leaving Gizzy Boys and going to play for Uawa and all of that. Like, yeah. So that biggest, yeah, that was pretty like bad at the time. You know, like Mum and Dad were disappointed and whatnot, but. Now that's like been the biggest blessing in, in my entire life, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Like that's an awesome story to share. Like, thank <laughs> you for reflecting on that. That's that's brilliant. If we just dig a little bit deeper, like going into Lindisfarne, like is it going from a small and, and something that we've have, has popped up a couple of times when we've talked to others um, around this is like going from a small town into a sort of a bigger environment, bigger city type thing. Yeah. Is that sort of like the influences around you is quite yeah large? It's quite like and it's. Probably too much of a change, to be mm. honest. Well, it was for me. It was for me. Like my brother went to Lindisfarne. He went all the way through and went to university, and now he's a farmer. So, my not that it was a waste of time him going to university or whatever. But that's my point. Was that you know I would have ended up going to university too, and probably ended up coming back and just being a builder, but not and then but missed out on that connection to the local community, which is something that I like. And then my sister went to Woodford, so you know uh, farming kids sort of get sent away. So going from Lindisfarne and then you're coming back home, so yeah, obviously yeah. heading to Boys High? Yep, yep. So, so were you boarding at Boys High or were you No, like, while I was living I was living with my nan and granddad, my father's um, mum and dad. Yep. Yeah. So well I lived with them for fifth form and then in sixth form I went and lived with my cousin, um, Holly Layton. Yeah, yeah. So still rugby and cricket at Boys High? Yep. So uh, only rugby and cricket at Boys High, but I was I was not very good at school. And, um, I was only in the first 15 fully at seventh form. So I played my first, I played two games in fifth form and then probably another two games in sixth form. And then only actually made the team fully in, in, fifth, uh, in seventh form. Yeah, so I mean, they had other halfbacks there. And even in, even, even in my seventh form, I was only the reserve halfback. Yeah, I only got to like, start a couple of games if it was, um, yeah, I was sort of just the meathead that was just there for defence, I guess. And I, I got to start if the if the um, conditions were rainy and muddy, then I got to start otherwise in that. What was rugby to you at that time? Was it just something to keep you involved in sport or was it something that you really wanted? Was it a passion, starting to grow into a passion or was it just, Nothing, was nothing. It? To me, yep. I only figured out rugby wasn't a compulsory sport last year. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with my 
you know, just getting told, you know, it's cricket and rugby and that's what you do, you know, yeah. you're a Kiwi kid, so yeah, you just play cricket and, and, and rugby. Yeah. Yeah, so that was all sport was for me. Mm. Yeah, especially with it. Yeah, it's just those two sports. It wasn't like I was out doing athletics or anything like that. No, like rugby was just something that I enjoyed and it was never, yeah, it was never something that I was getting picked for or getting told, oh, you know, you can go far or anything. It was just yeah. something that I, that I done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, so. So you did enjoy it or was it? Yep, super, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. But I did, I always knew rugby was just something to do on a Saturday. It was never the be all end all for me. And it, it actually still, it probably still isn't. Yeah. 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 And sport itself probably never has been either mm. because at a young age, I was never earmarked to go far in anything. So there was never like that drive to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to go and be a sportsman or anything. Sport was just something that I, like to do it myself to keep my brain sedated really so I don't you know my mind sort of drifts off and not into bad things or anything but my mind sort of drifts off and I need something to keep me just focused on on what I'm doing at the moment yeah yeah, yeah. cool another good reflection that's great so then you sort of moved obviously after boys high moved back home Uawa. yep yep and then playing so that's something that DC Daryl yep uh, mentioned in here as well you are staunch to Uawa, they're all right back through the JAB to now. He's always a player who just got stuck in. After his stint with uh, Gisborne Boys High School, uh, he made his debut for us. He just grew as a player and a leader. Are you able to like elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so like I say, rugby wasn't really like massive for me at school, so I didn't really think about who, like what my career, rugby career after um, school was gonna look like. You know, it didn't really worry me, but the um, catalyst for me going back to Uawa was because my brother went back there and played, and then he went back there and like me and my brother, we have like we normal brother relationship, you know, you fight when you're kids and yeah. you know and all of that. But he's certainly one of my biggest um, inspirations in, in my entire life. I've never really told him that, but everything he does, I try and copy, you know, just that typical younger brother things, you know. So he's actually had a big big influence on my life. So he went, I was still at um, Gizzy Boys, seventh form, and he went back and played for Uwawa um, in my seventh form. So I was going, to, going up there and watching him and sort of enjoying seeing him, what he was doing. And then he made the coast that year in 2011, which they made the Meads Cup final and lost to Wanganui. So to be honest, the main catalyst year to go back to Uwawa was my brother, just seeing him play for them. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's mean. I want to go and emulate that and go and, go back to where I'm from and play for my home, yeah. So yeah. the biggest influence to go back there was, yeah, was my brother. Nice. Mm -hmm. Obviously, DC's mentioned a few shields and stuff like that. So <laughs> at the time that you've played there with Uawa, like the Rangiora Keelan Shield? Yep. Yep. And then also Barry Cup. Yeah, yeah. Like, so my first few years at Uawa, we didn't really, we made, we made the semis every year, didn't win. So... 2016, I think, something around there, we made the final against Hikarangi and lost. And then we might have made another final and lost that too. And then it wasn't until 2018 where we won our first one. Yeah, so, yeah, didn't really have too many, too much success in terms of winning the whole competition for our first, um, few, for my first few years there. But yeah, it wasn't until 2018 when um, we won our first championship and then we went back to back. Uh, 2019, 2020, obviously, um, COVID hit and then 2021 we won it again so we kind of went sort of three years in a row yeah yeah, yeah in, a, in a roundabout way 
what part did you play in terms of leadership within within that? Yeah, so I think my leadership at the start was just being the fittest person in the team, sort of not speaking or anything. Just you know, my actions kind of was the yep. probably probably the thing that um, might have motivated a few players. I'm not too sure who, but you know, if they did, if it did, it would have been that. It would have just been being fit and turning up to every training and just being so super committed, which is just second nature for me, really. Like that's you know the things that. I had no real talent, you know. It's that other thing, other those other um, bits and pieces that I sort of found um, helped me the most. Yeah. yeah. So where did that like that commitment come from? Just from my father, my mother, older siblings, and just getting brought up on a farm. To be honest, even though I'm like fit, motivated, and you know committed to everything, you know, I like I like sitting on the couch and I like watching TV as well, you know. So yeah. it doesn't. It's not. I'm not go 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 24 7 you know there are times where i do like to sit down and have a rest yeah Yeah, so that's kind of not in my nature to be go 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 all the time so it was those farming sort of influences where you sort of learn like if there's sheep in the pen and you're drafting them or something or drenching them you can't just leave you know you've got to sort of just wait and just blow the whole thing out you know and then you can have your rest yeah so it was probably that main influence just that farming upbringing where you know you're dealing with animals that can't really they don't have smoko you know they don't go to time frames so you just got to kind of like wait till the job's done and then you can sort of have your rest so maybe it was that yeah cool yeah no mm-hmm. no that's good yeah talk to me about when you debuted for Natapro East Coast yeah like yeah what was the feelings yeah when sort of like anything around that like when was yeah. it so that was um yeah first year out of school yeah, first year out of school playing for Uawa, had a good season, and then Nadimu Simpkins and Rotopuki picked me. Yeah, so that was, that was massive because that was kind of my dream. Once I'd seen, like, the, the dream for, um, to play for the coast was from seventh form when I seen my brother play for them, and I, then I seen that they made the final for the Meads Cup. That was that was the turning point that I was like, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's my goal. That's, that's the team I'm going to play for. And like I said before, I never really had any aspirations with rugby, but that was one. That was that's my one and only aspiration that I've ever had with rugby. Like I've never, never wanted to be an All Black. It drives me up the wall when you hear people say it's every kid's Kiwi kid's dream to play for the All Blacks because it's not. It wasn't mine. I was like, man, you guys are, you guys are, um, you, you know, putting words in my mouth. You know, you're saying every Kiwi kid, and I'm like, it's not. It's not me. Mm. And I and I love rugby. You know, so never had that dream. The only dream I had was just to play for the coast. Once Nadimu Simpkins and Ruotapuki picked me, it was kind of like, yeah, my first sort of goal that I've ever kind of set was achieved in sport. So it, was, it actually meant a lot. And um, plus my brother got picked in the same team, so we got to play together, which um, we, were, we were playing together for Uawa, which was cool, but, you know, playing that representative footy with your older sibling is, you know, another level. So, yeah, got to debut against... Poverty Bay in the Queen's Birthday weekend game in, in 2012 and we ended up losing that game but um, had a good season that year while we ended up winning the whole competition and yeah so my debut season for the coast was the year that we won the Meads Cup yeah so a bit of a um, whirlwind of an experience you know getting picked especially when the coast have always been a bit of an up and down union and my debut year is winning that entire thing and then we sort of crashed and burned for eight years after that so I was um, got to experience all ranges of emotions in my first little period with the coast. Yeah, I bet that, that would have been <laughs> yeah. awesome. That <laughs> no, was cool. Awesome. It was cool. Yeah. Now the year, 
that we played, oh, like 2012 was just crazy. We sort of, as a team, we'd turn up to towns, walk tour, just like a big multi team that turns up, wins games, partied hard, and just home again, you know, like it was, it was the dream, especially an 18 year old kid, yeah. just out of school experiencing all these big gnarly rugby fellas and big coast fellas that, you know, that's who, um, that's who I learned my, the tricks of the trade off, you know, just proper fellas from Rotoria to Raw, you know, that's who influenced me. And I was just a little white 18 year old kid in the team, just happy to be there, trying to do his best. And, um, but everyone made me feel welcome and oh, certainly best friends for life, you know, I got to play on fringe on the fringes with you know some legends um like morgan widdipper jr and then now i get to play with now i get to be you know the captain of the team and play with all these young guys so it's cool yeah mm-hmm. is that what makes it so special the way you talk about the coast it's amazing like it's you can see how proud you are of being involved with the coast 100 like, percent. i'm it, like one-eyed coast man yeah. through and through like um yeah um, and like i said before i'm extremely sired to Tolaga bay that's my home it's where it's where i live it's where my roots are so um and any, anywhere i go i try and take a while with me or if i've got a platform like if i'm on tv or anything like i'll make a shout out to to Uawa or Tolaga bay and the coast as well the love for Uawa is the same for the coast so yeah wherever i go if i've got a platform to spread the word then i then i certainly do i try and sneak it in all the time you know in, in king in the ring or anywhere you know so yeah 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 so it's that sense of belonging isn't it like that's something that's grounded you like, for sure for yeah. sure it's as humans i certainly like belonging to something you know i'm probably not as passionate about new zealand as i am about being like i'd say if i could say where i'm from i would say east coast i wouldn't say new zealand you know yeah. i've got that sort of affiliation with the coast that yeah that's the that's the place that I'm from. Nice, I love mm-hmm. it, it's cool. Yeah. So just talking around some of the highlights and I suppose challenges as well, like in, in the Sky Blue jersey, like you've one of two players that have won the Meads Cup, Lahore Cup and the Bill Osborne Taonga. You got the Ian Kirkpatrick medal in 2022, mm-hmm. but then like as you've alluded to, you've also been one of the longest first class losing streak yeah. in New Zealand rugby yeah, yeah. as well. No, I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> and you say it's been up and down. Yeah, like, yeah. Can you talk to a yeah. little bit about that? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's hard to sort of put it into words. Like, they're so both at opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't they? Um, but in terms of going through all that losing streak, no one ever really got like super down or got like disheartened with the team or the union or anything like that. It was quite strange or surreal to you know every time we'd lose. The next week we were like, man, I think next week we're going to win, eh? <laughs> like yeah. we had that kind of mentality. Like we were always, we always thought like next week was going to be better, yeah. and um, that was probably one of the things why the spirit never broke in, in any of our teams or any of the coaching staff or any of the um, fishheads who are running the union, you know, the CEO or anything. Every week we quite naive to think back now, but you know we'd lose, and then the following week we're like, oh, you know, training on Tuesday, and the boys start, you know. Ging each other up and we're like oh maybe maybe it's it's this weekend we're gonna win you know <laughs> so the spirit never broke spirit never broke and then so you know when jose took over the reins and took over the team it was just about putting a few game plans in place that are correct it wasn't about sort of t- telling the boys you know you, you, 
you're good or anything. Like everyone, everyone still knew that the spirit was there. We just needed a good correct game plan put in place, and um, it wasn't until Jose came along and, and done that that we um, started coming good again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're the playing group, the core playing group, like me, Verdon Bartlett, and a few other of the lo- like Hunahaidawa and that. You know, we were there during the losing streak, and like the same core leaders of the group were the ones that were in the good period with Jose, and they were in the bad period as well. But yeah, so it wasn't like we had to change the playing group and, and or anything like that. You know, the spirit was still there. It's just about someone, the correct person coming in and tapping into pulling the correct strings with coast players because um, we're a unique um, bunch of people, you know. You can't really turn up and run it as a cookie-cutter approach, you know. You've got to do it very individual and unique and find the correct way, which um, Jose, I mean, um, Nadi Musimkins and Ruotapoki um, done um, brilliantly is that they had a unique way of running the the show and it made it thrived with the um, with the playing group back then yeah 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 I'm curious like when you talk a little bit about the spirit of the team and that's obviously been there the whole time yep. like are you able to dig a little bit deeper around that in terms of like what is that um, that a bit more yeah I mean it's a funny one eh because you sort of can't really just dis- one of those like cultures things in the team where you can't really kind of describe it's better to be shown yes um but it's mainly around like the wire and the haka and the kind of connection that you have with the other players like there's a lot of cousins and and that in the team or um people who have you know their genealogical line is all you know from the same place so they there's that connection and then there's never like i've been in, in teams where you kind of get a few groups or a few cliques yeah. and it's just not the case in the coast yeah like there's just nothing everyone it's not even on purpose either like everyone just hangs out with everyone and i mean it probably and it comes down to sleeping in marae all the time doing wananga all the time singing you know you're everyone's got to sing and no one really likes singing but you got to do it you're kind of breaking down those embarrassing barriers that some people might have you know like in wananga we got to go and get up and sing the um coast song with just four of you, um, it gets pretty daunting, you know, that you've got to kind of open up and share and be super vulnerable in front of the entire team, you know. So yep. it's probably that sort of thing that everyone, and, and it's a Māori team, you know, and Māori's know how to um, dig into anyone's insecurities and, and give you a bit of shit about it. So um, there's a lot, of di- a lot of ribbing going on with the boys, you know, if you're, it's it's not bullying, but it's, it's certainly, you've got to have thick skin if you want to play for play for the coast and it's a great thing it keeps you humble it makes you you know you don't get too big for your boots or anything because the boys will give you a bit of shit in the changing room or, or they'll call you out in the team meeting yeah yeah so there's a, there's a lot of that yeah like i say it's hard to describe the spirit but it's just the fact that everyone's so so damn close and there's so many walks of life up there but it, it all works you know like vernon bartlett who's just a you know hardcore moldy sort of long dreadlocks lives up um, Kate Runaway, and that's one of my best friends, you know. So I'm just a you know, white, fella, white farming fella from Tolaga Bay, and, you know, he's one of my best mates. So it kind of goes to show how everyone ticks in the group. Yeah, hopefully that's sort no, of No, that's like, honestly, like, like, and I mean it sincerely, like, that's a beautiful insight into, into yeah, yeah. what the Coast team's about. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to hear, and, like, it's great. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to flip it now. So now we're going to move into, obviously, the kickboxing, the fighting yeah. side of things. Like yeah, we're gonna, yeah. 
you alluded to it earlier around that individual sport. Was this mm. sort of around the time when you were made aware of like like got into fighting was like when yeah. that realization that there are individual for sure for sure so my first introduction to kickboxing was i was actually playing in the poverty bay competition for narapa at the time i just wanted some more pre-season training and i was like oh you know i've heard this play kickboxing you know any sort of fight training is quite good so i just um done it off my own bat i was like i just found out where roa was training and i just popped down there must have been like february or, or january you know of this particular year yeah just went in there just didn't know anyone i went down by myself i was pretty nervous i just walked in i was actually the first training i went to i was late i was about 15 minutes late i walked in and um everyone was like, like hitting pads and it was quite intimidating to be honest and i walked in a little bit sheepish realized i was 15 minutes late and then takamaki must have seen me and he come over and sort of introduced himself and said oh you know what are you up to and i was like oh you know i'm keen to train and um, he goes, oh yeah, well come on then, get in here. I was like, nah, no, nah, this is a little bit too much. I just, the fact that I turned up late <laughs> and we got all these big um, kickboxes in there hitting pads, I was like, oh nah, 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 I don't want, I just, just I'll come back tomorrow, I'll come back tomorrow. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I left, left and then came back. It, must have, it might've been like a two days later or whatever, whenever the class was on turn up early and yeah, got into it that way. Yeah, so my first introduction to it was just went along for a bit of pre-season training, but if anyone knows the Mackies, once you sort of turn up, they, they book you a fight pretty quick. So yeah, ended up <laughs> pretty much got booked for a novice fight, padded fight, I don't know when it was, um, how many you know weeks or months later it was, but yeah, got booked for that. And then that's when the bug sort of came, realizing, oh, you know, I wanna just keep doing it again. It wasn't about realizing, oh, you know, I'm gonna make all these goals right here and then, mm. there and then, being like, you know, I'm gonna do this and that or conquer the world or anything. I just getting dragged along, you know, getting told by Melissa and Tucker, Mackie, that, oh, you got a fight coming up. So you just train for it and then it just slowly progressed from that. Yeah. Could they see something in you? Like, or is it the when it comes through? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't really wanna answer for them because I reckon. Probably is yes, yeah. I don't know. They might have thought, no, nah, this fellow's useless. But I think now they they certainly see what I'm about. And the entire Mackie family, I've got nothing but love and admiration for them. They they do they do a lot for me, eh? They do a lot. Yeah. So I think I don't know if they've seen anything right away. I'm not sure. You'd have to ask them that. But it wasn't until my first non-padded fight where I went in and knocked the guy out and. I don't know, 12 seconds or something, and um, got the fastest knockout on the Nisa Fury card in Australasia because he has, this particular promoter has um, fight nights all over New Zealand and Australia. And I had the record for the fastest knockout on my first proper like proper fight. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so I think from then, we all kind of realised maybe we need to give this a go. Yeah, yep. so then now, we, now we're here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that's cool. We'll jump straight into the King of the Ring. Yeah, that was a new 2022. Mm. You had you done King of the Ring previously? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I was so King of the Ring is obviously the top eight fighters in New Zealand, but then they have a reserve fight, and so they have the top eight, and then they have a reserve fight on the same night, and then if any of the fighters in the eight win their fight but get injured and can't continue, then the winner of the reserve fight will take their place. Right. Yep. Yeah. So that was my introduction. So 2020 year of COVID, started the year 
we went as a club to Australia and fought, I fought two Australians in February and then COVID hit and then it wasn't until June of that same year we had the bubble. Jason Suddy just decided to make the most of it and put on a King in the Ring event at 75kg and Melissa got me in as the reserve fighter of that. Yeah, that was the first time going down to 75 kilo. Won that, won that fight by knockout in the third round and then no one else got injured so I didn't um, get to fight, like, you know. But it was the fact that we'd done the reserve fight and just showed that we didn't mind, you know, doing the, you know, doing that and, pr and proving to Jason Suddy that we're keen to do whatever we can to, like, help the show and if we can be on the in the eight next time then that'd be cool so yeah that was our my first introduction to king in the ring and then yeah obviously got put in the main eight the next time in 2022 yeah yeah and so that was a new division eight so this is sort of like <coughs> yeah. heavyweight so was that 80 or 80, 80 80 kilos80. so it was the first time he'd put on that that weight range yep. and it suited me that's my optimum weight or anywhere around there like 70 78 to sort of 80 was pretty cool for me yep. yeah so Getting put in that was awesome, but like I say, fighting is, or like sports never been like, yeah, I've never thought I was ever, ever any good at sport. I've probably got like a fraud sort of mentality. Um, so I've certainly trained hard and done everything that I could, no stone unturned, to go up there and perform. But in my mind, I thought, no way am I gonna win this. Like I'm going up against fellas who've been fighting since they're six and seven years old and live and breathe, it's their main sport. I'd just come, off a um, bender, we just won the Lahore Cup for the coast and I just <laughs> crawled off the couch and went into a fight camp from that. So <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, no way I'm gonna, gonna win it, but I'm gonna certainly turn up fit, ready to go and do my best. And it just so happens that my best won it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Cause that's a massive, like when you look at it, like, and I watched that one as well, like that was incredible to see. Like you're going through, you've got to, like if you win it, you've basically got to fight three people, yep. is that correct? Yep. So how do you prepare for something like that? I've actually, I've actually won an eight man, I won an eight man tournament um, sort of a year earlier. Yeah. So that was um, like a paid, a paid gig over in Waihi. Yeah. So Melissa again got me into a, yeah, that tournament it was an 80 kilo one too. So I won that. Unanimous decision first fight, knocked out um, City Kickboxing's, one of City Kickboxing's pro fighters in the second fight, and then beat the favourite in the final, who was a Southpaw. Never, um, I fought one Southpaw before, uh, never really, they're always quite tricky, but yeah. for some reason I had it, I just everything was locked that night, and yeah, it was, I was good. So I had done one before, um, King in the Ring, so that did give me a, a lot of confidence to know how to deal with um, what was coming. Yeah. yeah, but to be honest, the format actually suits me. It suits my mentality. It suits the way I operate. I like that long distance endurance. You know, the element that some people won't like, I like. For instance, in seven, like the reason why I like sevens because it was in summer and it was hot, and other people didn't really adapt to it that well. Yeah. And that was the reason why I like sevens. Mm. So the reason why I like King of the Ring was because it has that long distance endurance mindset of like it's about. Not necessarily the most slickest technical fella needs to win because you've got to be able to do that and handle the adrenaline dump and handle pain of three fights and handle all of that, which is, that's my bread and butter. That's the bit that I like. And we've always said this as a team, like me and T Tucker and I, is that we all don't like pain, but I like pain just a little bit more than everyone else. So that was something that, that's like one of our little mottos that 
Thakur and I have only really spoken about that once, but I've taken that with me um, all the time, is that, yeah, whoever I'm fighting, you know, we both don't like pain, but I'm sorry, bro, but I like pain a little bit more than you, so, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're in for a rough night here, you know? <laughs> that's, um, yeah. that's cool. And from what we've been talking about the whole, the whole this episode is like, I can tell that you're like into the fitness side of things mm. and you can, you can, you've got that in lockdown. So I suppose when you're talking around like you like that pain a little bit more, there's obviously that mental side of things. Yeah. So how do you sort of train your mind to be able to deal with that? Yeah, probably, you probably, you probably don't. Yeah. In terms of, like you say before, it probably comes from that upbringing of that farming sort of upbringing. You know, you can't really, you can't really go and train your mind, you know, you got to either you either got it or you don't, and that's probably one of the reasons why I've you know got a little bit of success. But it's all about sort of finding yourself fighting. Like it's so lonely that you learn things on on the night. You'll be surprised how much once you're put in that situation, you just sort of realise, okay, we're here now. We're just gonna have to grit our teeth, and then that's when you find yourself. Yeah. So to train your, yourself mentally, yep, you could probably go and do some big trainings and. Once you're tired, you know, you do a little bit more and then that, that does help, you know, that gives you a little bit of um, drive to sort of know if you're hitting the wall, you can just carry on through. But in terms of um, if you're, you know, if you're, especially in fighting, if you're losing a round, it's actually hard to come back from because you're like, man, another, go- another person's dominating me in the most sort of manliest way. How am I going to get back out of this now? You know, yeah. like, and it's just about, yeah, probably forgetting about it really and just gritting your teeth and just, starting again and trying trying your best in the next round you know otherwise if you start dwelling on things you can get hung up and i've probably been guilty of dwelling on things and fights and so it's probably about just sort of yeah washing your hands with that particular round and just being like okay cool that happened just gonna have to start again and get back out there yeah yeah so in terms of training your mind for it yeah not not sure really how to answer it but yeah it's probably just about how you've grown up in terms of um you're getting through those those dark moments yeah and i wonder because when you talked before around commitment i wonder if that's something that obviously you know like growing up on the farm yep. being committed to like the roles that you had to do whether that's had a real big influence in terms of how your mind sort of sees things as yep. well it's like i'm committed to this yep. i'm 100 this is what i'm yeah for sure in a way yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right nice love it so obviously last year you were back there again yep can you talk to us about that? Because I know there's quite a bit around, like you had to drop weight. It was quite tough. You were last minute sort of <laughs> yeah. coming in. It'd be cool to hear from you. Like, how does that affect you as well? Like in mm. terms of physically and mentally. Yeah. No, that was that was this last fight camp for King of the Ring was a roller coaster of emotions. Like losing because I played rugby at about 88, 90 kg. We just lost the semi to South Canterbury, and then they started putting the word out that they needed another fighter, and we put our hand up and yeah got picked and whatever and then so I was sitting at 90 and they had to get down to 75 kg so 15 kilos in four weeks was pretty tough but I've got my I got my nutritionist AJ Fobister who's an absolute star she she's um she's real clued on on she's done my nutrition all the way through my fighting so I've got her who's who's bloody good and then I have Jamie Kiriana Alana Kiriana's um husband who was my strength and conditioning coach yeah so i've got those two there yeah i wouldn't have been able to do it without them to be honest yeah the fight camp has to start off real hard and fast with jamie creating all my plans and that and then obviously you've got roa training who 
you know, they they understand the battles that I have to go through to get down to that weight. They're amazing, eh? Like Tucker and Mal, Mal in particular, honestly believes in me like no one else in this whole world. She believes in me more than anyone, more than me. Like she sees more potential in me than I see in myself. So she's she's amazing. Tucker as well. He he knows that I'm quite a I'm not a perfectionist, but I do like things to go correctly. And you know, he kind of when things aren't going correctly, you know, you might have a bad training because you've got lack of energy. He kind of tries to pick my spirits up and or you know joke around or just try and help me that way. Try to like you know, for lack of a better term, baby me through the whole process because yeah like you've got to do the most hardest trainings in the world kind of thing and then you only allow chicken and broccoli you know you're not really like fueling up yeah. so there's a lot of mood like yeah a lot of <laughs> some bad moods that i get in but um my whole fight team my whole gym they just know me like the back of their hand i'm quite transparent yeah yeah so everyone really rallies around me my training partners you know with my sparring partners they all sort of get around me and pat me on the back and really get me um get me up so the whole culture at, at ROAs it's it's bloody good eh like oh the old family thing gets thrown around like quite a quite a cliche but I think when you've got random strangers that do more for you than some of your cousins yeah. like you know like that's a bigger connection than just family you know because it's a complete stranger that's got no affiliation to you know and they're they're the ones um backing you up and getting you through tough times so yeah I don't really like to call it a family. It's it's something a little bit deeper, yeah. Which is yeah, it's crazy. Because even and then we've got another trainer, Dan Spears, who's this English guy, married a Gizzy girl, and he he um joined our gym and he's one of our coaches and he's like my main um, pad holder and he knows how to pull my strings real well and he knows when to back off too. So he he knows when to push me, knows when to like, knows when I'm about to give up because the training's gone too much and I've haven't eaten and he just smashes me even more and then he can know he can tell the difference he can differentiate between me just pushing through the pain barrier or me being like oh no i need to really stop here and give him a rest and yeah so everyone has their place in in my fight team and everyone knows their role yeah everyone does everyone does their job and that's why we've had some yeah massive success yeah especially like winning it like that's that's the pinnacle of New Zealand fighting. Everyone that knows fighting in New Zealand knows that once you win King in the Ring, that's the that's the top prize. Yeah, yeah. So with that, like that one from last year, yep. did that? And obviously, you had you got through your first fight, I think, eh? Hey? Yeah. And then the second one, you got beaten by the eventual yeah. winner. Yeah, yeah. So the guy he got me a good liver shot and I went down, and that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he went on to win, and he was he was actually a good bugger. Yeah, losing all that weight in that um, small period of time, I did I didn't think anything of it in my mind because I couldn't really afford to but what happens in my mind and what physically happens is a completely different thing so it, it probably did physically have a take a toll and I just didn't want to accept it yeah yeah so yeah I mean I was pretty drained like I had to sauna out probably about six or seven kilo in a couple of settings and then didn't eat since Thursday and fight set our way in on Friday night so two days of no food sweating out just trying to run jumping in and out of saunas yeah so wow. it's pretty tough I should probably, it's, but it was the fact that they're not having the 80 kilo king in the ring until 2026 okay so yeah. we just decided i wanted i wanted that challenge and i wanted to go on king in the ring again i wanted that stimulation you know i wanted to have that thrill again so yeah. i had to go down to 75 so you got to do what you have to do i'm not i'm not complaining about um, what we had to do I'm just saying it, it happened and yeah. yeah would you do it again 
Um, like, like obviously, yeah. don't fight the game, but we'll yeah, yeah. There, See, like, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not sh- sure, eh? I, <laughs> I certainly at the time I was like, I'm never doing this again. I'm like, never going to hop in the sauna this this long. But um, if I have like an eight week camp or something like that, and I can get down, I can progressively get down. Then maybe. Yeah. yeah. But I do feel fitter and healthier at, at a kilo. It was quite good to see what it was like again to go down to 75 and go down to those lower weights because yeah it's not really my body type that that like i'm quite a muscle bound sort of aggressive fighter where the lower weights are more um speed and technique and and that kind of thing right, yeah. yeah which isn't really my fight style my fight style is aggression power those sort of things and so the 80 kilo category kind of suits me yeah where all the body types that were down at 75 kilo, they're all acclimatized to it a lot longer, perhaps. And my body was down there screaming out for food and yeah. oxygen and you yeah. know, just wanting to, I'm starving down there, you know? So yeah, probably probably not. If I can sort of stick around the 80 kilo or 78, then that's that's probably a bit better for me, yeah. No, fair mm. enough, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be tough. It would, yeah, be, it would tough. be very tough. I can only imagine what you're going through. Like, it's just incredible. Mm. Moving sort of around a little bit, like, you talked a little bit around your support network, especially with ROA or with your fighting. What does your support network overall look like in terms of rugby? and Support network during rugby is certainly not as defined as the fighting. Like, in rugby, it's a team sport. You know, you just sort of do your job and you do your role but then you've got everyone else around you to, to do theirs and your support network is the team yeah so it's like if you have your like the support network's the team and then you've got um, your entourage it's like could get a little bit too much for me so I'd pretty much just have you know the team is, is my support network in, in, in the coast and then obviously mum and dad and mum and dad are always at every game brother and sister turn up to the ones that they can make when they're not farming because they're, they're both farming yeah so Support network during rugby is sort of takes care of itself because you're in a team environment. The one in fighting is when it becomes crucial. It yeah. honestly becomes crucial um, because it's a, such a lonely sport. There's a lot of pain involved. There's a lot of risk. Like there's a lot of actual health detriments that could happen. You know, so do need to have that support network. And in fighting, yeah, I've got a, got a massive one with the entire Mackie family. They're like the main support network outside of my family with fighting you know and they all have their own little influences on me whether or not it's hopping in the sauna um, when I'm cutting weight you know when I was up in Auckland I'm um, just getting ready for like King of the Ring and in the sauna one of the sisters he petted like would jump in the sauna with me and like baby me through that you know trying to sweat off five kilos so everyone's got their their role yeah yeah uh, I did have the question around like who are your influences and like who's sort of been there supporting you and like yeah. Looking at the Mackie family, like what qualities, especially within the fighting world, what qualities do they have that make them so special in terms of helping you out and stuff like that? If anyone knows the Mackies, they know that they're quite, they're aggressive, they're straight to the point, no beating around the bush. And it's that kind of mentality that I take from them. Because mm. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm not as straight up as what they are, you know, like they're a certain type of straight up and it's beautiful you know <laughs> yeah um so it's having them around like they do heaps of things for me like if i'm feeling down or like lack of energy then they'll they'll go and get something for me or they'll bring me food or well honestly when i'm around them i feel like a 
like a thoroughbred racehorse, you know. I just, yeah, I can't really think of a, a, a good word, but when I'm getting ready, like we're about to go out for a fight, like I get massaged, yep. like I just feel like I'm just like a, a million dollar horse, you know, just getting prepped, ready to go out there to perform. So yep. on one hand, they've got all that um, aggression, straight upness, but then they've got a lot of um, loving and heart as well. So you get all of that, and those are the sort of kind of warm feelings you want going into the ring. You don't, you don't want to be going in there with someone who's just sort of sending you out there for you know their benefit or anything like that. So yeah, because a fighter coach relationship, yeah, it's it's something like that I've never really experienced before, and it's kind of like a pure sort of um, relationship. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of trust in you know, your team for prepping you for the fight night and then there's a lot of trust in, they're trusting in you to represent ROA, their pride and joy well, you know, they're expecting you to win and I'm expecting myself to win yeah. because ROA is their, their child, you know, like it's, it's, it is the Mackie family ROA. So for me, I've got to go out there and, and represent ROA the best I can and do my best and, and, and show the world who we are. Love it. Yeah, no, it's a great reflection because... When we look at like coaching, even the role as a coach, they've got to know their athlete, know their sure. player, and like obviously they've taken that time to learn you 100%. about you and yep. what what can break you, what can make yep. you better, and stuff like that. And I think that was cool. Like when you talk around your other trainer, like the the pad trainer, yeah, Dan Spears, um, yep. Dan Spears, like around he knows when you yep. can push you, when you can't push yep. you, and stuff. And like knows that, the so. difference between yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's cool. Like like I have they're not mood swings, but everyone jokes about it that they're mood swings when I'm dieting yep. and. The Mackies are some are the people that let me. They let me have those mood swings, and they let me. I don't know, just vent, and yeah, they they give me that space and freedom to do it where other people wouldn't. Yeah, it's they. I get away with murder during fight camp with the way I am, and and they treat me yeah so bloody well during fight camps that, and then it gives me all that confidence to go out there and perform. You know, where some people like including like a, like. My parents and that, when I'm dieting around them, like they see all the mood swings as well. And then they're like, oh, you know, they sort of don't really understand it as well. Yeah. Like my mum thinks dieting is going from the blue milk to the light blue milk. And that's it, you know, <laughs> she doesn't see the fact that it's training hard and then not putting anything back in, you know, and then just shredding down. It's, yeah, that losing, that losing weight and then cutting weight, it's, it's almost like you're, you're kind of dying in a way. You know, you're just depleting your body of everything in a, in a stupid way. It's one of the more toxic things that's in fighting, but it's been there since day one. And if you don't do it, yeah. everyone else is doing it. So it's a bit of a, it's, a, it's just a shame that it's, it, it's in fighting, but it's been there since the beginning of time. I think that everyone's trying to find that advantage and yeah. So are there any other coaches? So obviously you've got the Mackies and yep. are there any other coaches that have impacted you yep. um, so, throughout your career? <coughs> There's one guy. Jimmy Braithwaite, who's had the most um, impact on my life outside of my family. He's just someone that, he sort of means everything to me. Everything that I do, I kind of think, or if, I'm get, if I get stuck, I think, what would Jimmy Braithwaite do? He's, a, he's one man in my life that I've had, yeah, that's had the biggest impact on me in terms of wanting to be like him, impress him, and just do well and, yeah, kind of make him proud, really. Yeah, so he's just a local Tolaga Bay guy who I would go down and train kickboxing with in my spare time outside of ROA. Yeah, he taught me. I would, I would go down there even just for um, fitness. He'd just 
we'd go and on his little farm and run around and he would just do fitness for two hours three hours on a sad day just yeah so he, he was um he was amazing and he wasn't really an actual coach per se but he certainly was someone who would do things like a coach but we never like had that relationship we were sort of just like kind of like an influential older guy you know yep. yeah so yeah. him him he would have the biggest um impact outside of yeah my family but in terms of rugby or anything like Nani with Simpkins and Real Tapuki, they were they're probably the um best rugby coaches I've ever had yeah just the way that they their knowledge around the game and their way that they like I say before pulled the correct strings in the in the east coast team they knew how to do it better than anyone yeah so those people were yeah probably the biggest coaching influences that I've had yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so with the the rugby coaches is there anything that apart from obviously bringing it all together anything that really stood out that you would say like this is what a like a model of good coach would look like Nadi with Simpkins and Rua Tapuki, they were very rough around the edges sort of guys who brought that approach into our team like I say we'd turn up to towns and walk tall with our chest out you know and that was the biggest kind of thing that I noticed was that they brought out the confidence in people so coaching for me and it goes back to like Tucker as well he doesn't really hold the pads very much anymore but he just sort of brings out the confidence in me and that's what Nadine Simpkins and Rotopoki did more than anything so for coaching it's not about X's and O's and creating game plan because if you haven't got a good rapport with who you're dealing with then that that message isn't going to get in and I've said this in some of my captain speeches, like if you're a player and you're not really in the leadership group, like don't come into the huddle and blurt out the way we're going to fix this game. It could be the way we're going to win it. But if you say it and no one, and lack of a better term, respects you or yep. you know you don't have that money in the team, yep. it's not going to hit the mark. Yeah, in big games I've sort of always kind of told people, you know, if you've got something, go through the correct avenues like come to me or come to the vice captain or come to someone else that has you know a big influence in the team and then they'll they'll project that to the team and then we can get on the same page so you've got to be able to um, know your players and know how to bring the best out of them yeah so those any team that has been successful that i've been in have done that yeah so so there is a process and the process 100 yeah things moving yeah you you might you might know the game better than anyone but if you haven't got that rapport with the players then, or if you haven't got rapport with your fighter or your gymnast or your athlete, then you're not really gonna have success. Yep. Yeah, that's, nah. that's for me anyway. Yeah, and that's cool. Like that's, you know, there'll be coaches and athletes and, and others listening today. And we talk about that like in terms of like when we look at coaching as a, as a topic, we, we do talk a lot about knowing your athlete. Yeah. I think that's, it's a big, massive, important yeah. thing. And then obviously the process. Like there'll be coaches that'll go, I've just got to win, I've just got to yeah. do everything. But if they miss certain steps along the way, yeah. it's, yes, winning is part of it and, and it is all great, but there are, there's a process of being able to get to. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. At the end of it, it's an outcome we want to be able to work on how sure. we get there. Because we all, we all want to win, you know, but we all want to maybe get there in different ways, you know. So if you run a, my way or the highway approach or something for instance and then you know you end up winning but next year that guy doesn't turn up again you know it's like did you really win you know so yeah. you might have won that year but you've, you've lost someone to the sport you know because they couldn't re- relate to how you're how you're operating or something so yeah it's kind of 
you know, looking at the bigger picture or, you know, not looking at the elephant too close. You know, you can look at the elephant too close and get hung up on a deep wrinkle or just the ear where you've got to step back and look at the entire picture of the whole thing and realise, oh, you know, no, there's, there's more to it, you know, for sure. Knowing, knowing, knowing your people. And in rugby teams, you've got different types of people, eh? So you've got to, you know, you've got to be adaptable in one training you're doing it this way or, and then the next training you've got to do it the other way because, you know, you've got to try and cater for everyone. So yeah, that would be my biggest, you know, thing about coaching that I like is just that adaptability or being a bit more open and, and honest and not doing it, yeah, just that one particular way, eh? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, for sure. I love the analogy about the elephant. It's great. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> A couple of questions that I've got to finish off. How has failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? I mean, failure comes in heaps of different ways, eh? Like, and so do losses. Like I say, I never made the first 15 until seventh form. So, you know, those were sort of losses in terms of, yeah, they weren't my, I didn't want to go far in rugby back then, but I still wanted to, you know, play Europe. If that's the best team, you want to be in that best team. So, Mm. yeah, I only got, couple games in fifth form and then a couple more games in sixth form and then you're still you're thinking oh you know if I'm good enough to play a couple games why aren't I good enough to make you know make the team or whatever and so you got to sort of deal with that kind of failure how do you deal with it oh probably just bottle it up to be honest <laughs> yeah um yeah probably pretty bad for for that um, for bottling things up you know failures are in all sorts of things outside of sport you know failed relationships or you know, might get in trouble or something, and you know that's that's a loss. You know, so it's more about the game. You know, you're still only in the 75th minute. You've got time to save it. Like I say, smoking that that stupid decision of smoking that weed back at Lindisfarne was probably in the 79th minute, and we're down by one now. Like they scored a try, and I'm losing by one, and then coming back to Gizzy Boys and my life correcting was you know a drop goal to to win. You know, to win it. So you might be losing at the time. But it's about, you know, making sure the game's not quite over and you can sort of peg it back. Yes. Never giving up. Right? Never giving up. Yeah, yeah for sure. Nice. Where, yeah, and then obviously you get genuine losses and fighting and that. And um, before all my King in the Rings, I've lost fights and you sort of just pick yourself back up. And yeah, you're only judged on, you've got to keep going until, if you lost and then sort of retired or something, then, you know, you're going to probably be judged on that. So, that whole loss and failure thing, it's just um, perspective, eh? So, yeah, for me, I lost all those consecutive games with the coast and then ended up becoming East Coast captain and winning the Lahore Cup and making a Meads Cup final and um, captaining them through that. So, uh, Meads Cup semi-final, sorry, against South Canberra and ca- captaining them through that. So, yeah. yeah, I had all those losses and then you sort of get those wins. So, things come in roundabouts. It's just not about being defined by... You know, a terrible part of in your life. You you just want to, yeah, pick yourself back up. Nice, mm. cool, love it. Good reflection. So, what's the plans for the future? Yeah, well, getting a little little bit old now. <laughs> Thirty this year. Body's sort of breaking down. Got knee surgery sometime this year. Had knee surgery. Geez, was it last year or year before? Fell off doing a backflip on the wakeboard and blew my knee up. That was twenty twenty two, and then surgery i always kind of thought my body was quite solid and that all the way through it never really pegged out that much um but now i'm sort of starting to get a few niggles and that yeah yeah but certainly melissa mackie's always cooking something in the background with a fight so she's like my 
manager in a way, so she always books my fights and I do what, she, do what I'm told there. In terms of this year, got building a house up in um, Kirikiri up in Northland, so I've just got to go up and do that, and then until June, and then I'm going over to Croatia to skip a yachts for oh, yeah. about eight weeks, and then be back in time for the East Coast season. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of my rough plan for the year. Cool. Yeah, and then throw in a fight here and there. Don't really want to fight too much in New Zealand any, anymore, unless you know that's it's the paid gigs. Like for the last year and a bit, it's all been paid fights. So about twenty grand in the last couple of years from fighting. Yeah, but all that money's sort of running out in New Zealand, so probably like want to head over to Aussie or Asia, somewhere around there. Yeah, that, that, that's something that gets me going. Just a normal fight on a fight night in New Zealand sort of doesn't really stimulate me enough, to be honest. Not that I'm trying to be too big or anything, it's just when you kind of have a little bit of a um, marketable thing, being king in the ring winner and an exciting fighter, then you know you don't really want to do it for nothing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's for that next challenge. Yeah, well, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Oh, well, good luck on that. Ah, cheers. And just to uh, finish it off, we have a, a question that we sort of ask everyone. Yeah. What does the value of sport mean to you? Yeah, so the value of sport for me has always been for something to do to keep my brain stimulated or keep it occupied. So without sport, I don't know what I would have done. I, you know, I would have been just drifting around or my I'd hate to think what my life would be like without sport like it takes up such a large part of my time which I enjoy I wouldn't know what I would fill it in with anything else you know and that's when my brain starts to drift off or get bored or start thinking bad things or start sort of you know slipping into you know that sort of few demons sort of start coming out which um you know we've all got sort of things we battle through but yeah, my, my brain certainly has a few demons in there that needs to be um, sedated with, with um, movement and sport is that, that outlet that it gives me. Sport was never my meal ticket or going to ever make a living out of it. It's a little bit more than that. It's kept me sane. It's kept my mind busy. Yeah, it gives me that sort of freedom to go do something and, and, and keep my body moving. So, yep, it might, might not have made me a millionaire or anything but it's kind of done a little bit more it's kind of saved me saved me in a bigger way than than it, than it knows or anyone else knows to be fair yeah mm. awesome that's yeah. amazing thank you for that like oh, it good. takes a lot to you know share these sort of yeah yeah stories I mean, but i think that's it's a cool reflection and i think it, it will resonate with probably a lot of people out there as well yeah i think that's and oh, that's good. thank you so much for your time Namahinui, <laughs> for coming in and and, and having a chat DC is going to absolutely love hearing this. Well, I should have actually mentioned him as one of the most influential, one of the more influential fellows in my life. You know, he was my school teacher, confidant, you know, that sort of type of guy. He didn't coach Uwawa, but he was like our manager. He's just, yeah, he was, he's someone that has been in my corner from day one, a big supporter. He comes to um, most of my fights and obviously all the rugby games and his son, yeah, really kind of looks up to me. So, yeah, no, DC is another one that definitely is always in the background of my life, kind of pulling a few strings, you know, keeping me on track. Yeah, so yeah, DC has done more for me than than he knows, and he's probably done more for me than I know. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, out of the two of you, like knowing like how ooh, how hard he is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, definitely yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. 
No, I, I have to try and hold my hold my tongue from saying all that sort of rhetoric. I was, I was about to say all oh, my blood runs blue and all that kind of thing. <laughs> but I thought I'd better, better toe the line here. And, yeah, yeah, otherwise, yeah. <laughs> nah, that's brilliant, mate. Thank you so much, Sam, for coming on. Your story was, yeah, absolutely amazing, incredible. It's just awesome to hear that, obviously, the transition from a team sport to an individual mm-hmm. sport, just hearing what makes the coast special, like in terms yeah. of the rugby, and then just obviously that determination and, and the challenge that you have around that fighting and stuff it's just it was awesome to hear so um, thank you again so much for your time thank you for sharing it with us and I hope um, a lot of people listening today or whenever they listen to it yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, get a lot out of it so appreciate it and thank you very much sweet nah, thank you Wade